aren't we prone to kind of maybe even get distracted a bit? I think we, um, we don't need a Sunday like this to, to remind us. This is helpful, and this is good, and this is important, but all of us have that sense of, um, of God within us. The Bible says that he has set eternity in our hearts, and whether you come to church or not, that's, that's really not what it's about. It's, it's the everyday journey that we have in this world that reminds us that there's a God. You know, this is, this is the bonus right here that we get to be together and celebrate together. But it's, what I'm concerned about more is, is who you are before a God who wants relationship with you Monday through Saturday. We can put our game face on on Sunday morning, amen? But it's, it's, it's what is, what's happening tomorrow? We get distracted. We, we allow things of this world to overshadow what's really important. I was thinking about this as I was thinking about baseball season starting. For those of you that care, baseball has started. And all I know is that we've been beating the Dodgers, so that's a, that's a good thing, right? The Diamondbacks. So. But, but leading into baseball season, you didn't, they didn't talk about the Diamondbacks as far as the baseball team. You know what the big story was with the D-backs? All the new food items at Chase Field. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was a Diamondbacks player, I'd be really mad that there's more excitement over the Sonoran dog than there is over, you know, uh, one of the key players, Christian Walker, you name him. You would think that the Diamondbacks are all about the new 30 food items on the menu. And I'm going, boy, I think something's a little bit out of, out of sorts here, right? Maybe a bit more serious was uh, NCAA LSU Tigers victorious. And yet... No one's talking about the game or the victory. Everyone's talking about the unsportsmanlike conduct between two players. I'm kind of one of those guys that just says, let them be. Let them let throw, throw signs and let them throw, you know, do the smackdown thing. Like, but we're allowing that to be the story versus celebrating an LSU victory. I don't have a dog in the race, but how easily we get distracted even the Masters, right, this weekend. You know what the big story is? Pine trees falling because of bad weather. Now, it would be a really big story if someone was under those pine trees, but praise God they weren't. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want you guys to go through life distracted anymore. I don't want you guys to go through life over, having things overshadow what's really important. You know, you've probably heard the expression, right, we tend to minor in the majors and major in the minors. And I guess today is a reminder that there's one thing that is major and nothing should ever take the place of it. And that is, once again, we get to hear the message that there's a God who loves us as we are where we are. No one comes into this place perfect, good, having it all together. Marriage is exactly where it needs to be. Kids obey to the, to the utmost. You know, jobs going great. <laughs> None of us come in with that facade. We come into this place broken, needing to hear a message. And it just so happens that this is not just a message for Easter Sunday. This is a message that I get to, as the pastor of the church, preach every Sunday. And that is this, the supremely, supremely glorious creator of the universe has removed every obstacle to have a relationship with you. The creator of this world, this kingdom, his kingdom, has done 
everything needed because he knew we couldn't do it to say, I want you to want me. I want you to adore me. I want you to, to love me. I want you to, to just, just be with me. This week I had a conversation with a guy. I've got two conversations with guys in this message. Just to, I own the coffee house and I own it not only to serve amazing coffee, but I, I own it to also serve as a, as a stepping stone to talk to people who are far from Jesus. And there's a guy who came in and I, I built a relationship with this dude and we hug each other and, you know, he doesn't know Jesus and that's okay. I still love him. And he came in and he was all excited. He's like, dude, I just heard this, this podcast and it's this like new age guru, like positive speaker kind of guy. And he's talking about Exodus and Moses at the burning bush. And he goes, dude, I've never heard this before that he says, there's only one place in the Bible where God addresses, calls himself. I am. Remember when Moses is going to Pharaoh and Moses says, who should I say sent me? And he says, tell him I am sent you like, woo, right? And so this guy was all excited about this. And, um, I said, actually, the guy that was talking on that podcast is wrong. It's not the only instance that the phrase I am appears in the Bible. And he's like, what, my podcast guy's wrong? I'm like, dude. <laughs> and, and I think he is, he's deceitfully wrong for a reason. Because there's another time the I am statement comes up, and that is when Jesus is cornered by the religious leaders of the day. And they're saying, what do you know about Abraham? And Jesus says to these guys, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up rocks ready to kill him. And you know why I think this guy deliberately left out Jesus? Because it's safe to talk about God. It is dangerous when you talk, start talking about Jesus. And this guy, like you could tell, like his brain was like. Because it is safe and it's generic and it's saccharine to talk about God, we can all talk about God and be like, you're God, my God, <laughs> can all our gods get along? <laughs> but when you insert into the conversation, Jesus, there, there is something you have to do with the person and work of Christ. You cannot relegate Jesus to just some moral philosopher, some, some great teacher, uh, a positive role model for our children, right? Like he's all that, but so supremely much more than that. If, if he was the one who claimed to be God and not only claimed it, but he backed it up through his miracles and through the greatest demonstration of, of his deity, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, he is risen, that's right. See, I'm going to throw those in. I'm just going to sprinkle them in the message today. You, you have to stop and you have to pay attention. Uh, you can't just wiggle out of this and be like, yeah, he's good. I'm just going to carry on with my life. No, no. You have to stop and acknowledge, is he who he said he was? Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, said this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And so this morning, I'm going to take you through three things that God wants for you that Jesus has secured for you if you believe. First is this. He has offered you 
indescribable love. He wants you to have a relationship with him grounded on indescribable love. We, at best, when we, especially when we sing our songs, and as good as the band is, praise God for, for good musicians, there's something within me that just says, I want to just scream more. I want to yell more. I want to celebrate more, right? Because the love that he has given to us in Christ is truly indescribable. It's stuff that goes beyond Valentine's Day cards or, or any sort of form or medium we tend to celebrate love. Like, if you think about love, greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, than one lays down his life for his friends. That's the ultimate sacrifice. That's the ultimate expression, right? That someone is willing to lay their life down for you and you have Jesus come on the scene. He comes to earth and he comes to earth for love. He comes to, to demonstrate love. He comes to prove love. He comes to secure love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and if you're, if you're, if you're taking notes, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to throw a few verses at you that I want you to take and I want you to look at later. later. I want you to investigate them. I want them to, to speak to your heart. Romans 5, 5 says this, and hope does not disappoint, which is really the overarching theme of my message because I want you to have a hope that doesn't disappoint. And that hope can only come to us from God. So here in Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God has moved every obstacle to come into this world to show us love, right? One of the most popular Bible verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He's a giving God. He didn't have to be a giving God. He would have been totally righteous and just to not show love to every, any single one of us, but he does. The king, his kingdom, wants participants in his wonderful, good, loving reign. And you can only know this through the son, who himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things in life will be given to you. The king has come down into his kingdom and he didn't adore himself as a king, but he adorned himself as a servant. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. What, what, what an amazing God. All other religions, all other spiritualities have a God that demands you to serve them, demands you to be perfect, demands you to be righteous, demands you to jump over all these little religious obstacles and hurdles, and we know we can't do it, and hence we're crushed, and we have this hope that disappoints because it's on us. But there's a God who says, let me do it for you. Let me step in for you. And this is why Good Friday, Silent Saturday, Resurrection Sunday, it's a package deal, baby. You remember when Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of God's love, we as his people can declare, my God, my God, why have you accepted me? Think about that. He was forsaken so that you could be accepted. And we need that help. I mean, does anything speak Easter like John Wick chapter 4? Like, let's talk about John Wick for a moment. Great Easter movie or greatest Easter movie? Here's the thing. There's a quote in John Wick that I couldn't shake. And I think it describes the heart of every single human being. 
And don't sit there all pious like, I don't watch John Wick. Well, you're missing out. But I'm not going to go down that road. John Wick 4, one of the villains says this. Second chances are the refuge for men who fail. And I go, out of the mouth of villains, truth speaks. Second chances are the refuge for people who fail. And I sit there and go, amen. Do not think you've got it all together, because you don't. We need second chances. How many of you are on your third, fourth? I don't know, let's go into triple, quadruple digits. I mean, we are all men and women who fail and we need a refuge. What greater refuge than the one who is the strong tower, the mighty refuge, and all who take comfort in him are secure forever. See, God doesn't want you to have this, this hope that doesn't disappoint in the fact that indescribable love has been shown to you. That love now takes place in our hearts and gives us a second gift, and it's this, indomitable joy. See, he's in, he doesn't just love you, so that you can just go, oh, cool, I got this God who loves me. He wants to fill your life with joy. The business of heaven, one writer says, is joy. When, when one sheep who was lost is found, all heaven erupts with joy. This is the business of heaven. This is the business of Jesus. These things, he says, I have spoken to you so that you may have joy, and that joy would be full. Here's my question. Man, how come people aren't more joyful? I mean, you just turn on the TV, you throw up your social media, you, you just, people are just really, really down in the dumps. I'm sitting there going, why? Most joyful person who ever lived, his name is Jesus, invites you into his joy. But he doesn't invite you into his joy on your own terms. He invites you into his joy on his terms. He is the author of joy. He's created you with this great capacity for joy. And he says, come and know this joy and have it brimming to the edges. If you think about how much Jesus talked about joy, he says in John 16, verse 22, there's a time for grief because I'm leaving and you guys are going to be gr grieving. You're going to be sorrowful, but that is only going to be for a season because I'm going to see you again and you will rejoice. But no one will ever take away that joy from you. There's a joy that can never, ever be taken from you, and that is rooted not in our rituals and our religion, but in relationship to God. Who, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says, Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Here you have Jesus heading into the darkest suffering in his life, and he's talking about joy. Here you have Jesus in the garden. Joy is compelling him. Here you have Jesus facing denial, betrayal, beatings, splinters, nails, spears, and yet he couldn't stop talking about joy. Ladies and gentlemen, only joy would keep him going. Joy was on his mind. Joy was on his tongue. Joy was drawing him not away from suffering but into it so that he could despise the shame and that you didn't have to face that shame. You can now only have joy because of your relationship with him. So I'm out mountain biking the other day in South Mountain, right? And I saw something that you only see on Good Friday. So Friday, night, Friday afternoon, I'm out mountain biking, and all of a sudden there's this mass of like high school students coming for me. 
right? I thought they were coming for me, right? So there's this mass of high school students coming for me, and there's probably about 30, 35 of them, and there's a kid in the back carrying a cross down South Mountain. Now, I get why people would do something like that, demonstrate some sort of faithfulness or allegiance or obedience. But part of me wanted to pull over on my bike and go, bro, you don't have to carry the cross. <laughs> I don't know what sick youth pastor got you into this, but bro, there's one who's carried the cross, who's suffered, who's sweated, who agonized. Bro, put the cross down. Just join the rest of the hike, baby. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't. I didn't want to usurp the youth pastor that was trying to teach a lesson. But ladies and gentlemen, how many of us go through life thinking we've got to carry this cross that Jesus has already carried for us? Now, there is, yes, and some of you are like, but, but Scott, you know, Luke 9 says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yes, I get that. But too many of us think our acceptance before God is dependent upon us carrying our own cross. You are accepted because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing you bring to the table equals eternal joy. You know why some of us don't have joy? Because we're carrying crosses we don't need to be carrying. We're carrying burdens we don't need to be carrying. We're carrying, we're carrying weaknesses and struggles and sin that we don't need to be carrying. Jesus says, press into me and find joy, and that joy is going to be abundant. I want you guys to be like that guy who finds the field with the treasure in it, Matthew 13, verse 44. And he sees the treasure, and he goes home and sells all he has, and with joy gives everything away so that he can have the treasure. Only when you die will you live. Let me say that again. Only when you come to the end of yourself and you realize how naked and bankrupt and fallen and, and rebellious that you are, only when you come to the end of yourself and literally die, Jesus says, then you will live. And there's joy in that. There's this mysterious exchange that takes place where because God has accepted you, not because of the cross you bear, but because of the cross his son has bear. Here's what's promised to you. Nothing can ever separate you now from God's love in Christ Jesus. Neither death, nor life, nor principles, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. If God is for you, who can be against you? That, that brings joy. This is not dependent on me. This is in his hands. There's joy in knowing that I am secure in the hands of my heavenly father through the death of his son on my behalf, a death he didn't deserve to die, but he did it for me. Now I can come into his presence based upon the, the person and work of Jesus Christ and know that nothing is now dependent on me, but just to accept that and live in it and love it. That's joy. Let me add a little post, postscript on this, on this point. Psalm 16, write it down. One of my favorite verses comes up in conversations like crazy. Here's the key, though, because while joy is given to you, the relationship that 
God desires to be cultivated on a continual regular basis is going to keep the, that joy just present, right? We don't, we don't come to God one time and say, hey, see you in eternity. We don't, we don't come to God one time and be like, hey, thanks for salvation. We'll see you in about 40 years. No, no, no. God offers you relationship because he wants you to live in that relationship on a continual basis. And, and I think about Psalm 16, where it's interesting because it starts with, in verse 10, resurrection. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol but, or let your Holy One see corruption, right? So it's prefaced on resurrection. And then he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here's what God says. Now that you're in, you're in, my, you're in my family, you're, you're, you're my child, come to me regularly. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, oh, while the, the, the hope of this world is going to continue to disappoint, and while the joys that this world pursues are going to be short, short-lived and, and empty, there's a God who says, I am the author and creator of joy. Find that in me. Which leads to our last point. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint. Right? See, not only is there indescribable love, not only is there indomitable joy, but there is indestructible hope. And this is what's remarkable about the resurrection because the resurrection basically says everything Jesus said is true. Everything he did is true. Everything he promised is true. The resurrection gives us certainty, guarantees, promises that as sure as Jesus has risen from the dead, you can take everything that God has said and revealed to the bank, right? And that is what we crave, right? We, our lives are now guarded by indestructible hope because the Bible is a narrative. And if you want to summarize the Bible in four words, you ready for this? Hope shattered, hope restored. There's the message of Scripture. Some of you are like, thank you for saving me 66 books. Now I don't have to read it. No, I encourage you to do it. But every book of the Bible, every letter of the Bible, every verse of the Bible is about this. Hope shattered, hope restored. Because in the DNA of every human being, there resides a desire for hope. Unfortunately, there's a hope that disappoints, but fortunately, there's a hope that doesn't disappoint. One of my favorite writers said, hope needs three things. R write this down. This is good. Hope contains three things. Desire, object, expectation. Hope stems from a desire. What do we desire? Good marriage? Relationships that lead to trust, not betrayal? Uh, desire a good job? You know, health? We don't want to hear, hey, sorry, Mr. Morning, you got cancer. Like, I hope those things don't happen, right? I hope your marriage lasts, and I hope your kids grow to be wonderful citizens in this culture, right? I hope your health is, is good. We hope for things... And so what we put our object of that hope in, right, are things that will probably fail us. Our relationships end in divorce. Kids walk their own path. Jobs 
Screw us. Government, politician, you name it. There's a desire. We, we attach it to some sort of object, and the expectation is you'll never fail me. You'll never let me down. You'll never disappoint me. And what happens? Disappointment. Loss. Sorrow. Difficulties. Trials. Suffering. Sorrow. And yet there's only one thing that will never, ever disappoint you. God. You try to live your life apart from him, your life is going to be filled with disappointments. Jesus rose from the dead for hope, to establish hope, to grow hope, to direct you to hope. Romans 6, 5. This is really the verse that just was on my heart this week as I was thinking about what do I share with, with this, this gathering. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the first time the Apostle Paul uses what we would call union language. There is now a union between you who believe and him who is living. And it's an organic term, united, meaning there's something that has taken place that is just life-giving. It's, it's been planted. It's been rooted. It is growing. It is bearing fruit, right? So there's this beautiful picture of this uniting. It's very organic. But notice, and, and, and I went to public school, so I'm going to impress you for a minute, okay? There's an if-then clause here. If. If the first thing is present, then there's a second part that's guaranteed. Right? Notice what Paul says here, and I love the language here. If you've been united with him in his death, you can't have Jesus apart from the cross he bore for you. If you try to shortcut the, the cross, you, you try to shortcut the crucifixion, you're going to end up with an empty faith and a disappointing faith and a hope that will let you down. This is why we preach the cross of Christ. We preach Christ crucified. Because he died a death he didn't deserve to die, and he did it for you and for me. Because we can never pay the price of perfection that a righteous God demands and requires. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's what we declare. So if we've been united with him in his death, then certainly, don't you love that word? Certainly, guaranteed. Take it to the bank, baby, right? Then you are united with him in his resurrection, which Peter would tell us in 1 Peter chapter 1, his resurrection leads to a, and I love this phrase, living hope. Write that down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Look what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we sing. This is why we raise our voices. This is why we shout. This is why we get excited. This is why I do the happy dance. This is why I sweat. This is why I get to grin ear, by, ear to ear and get to do this every single Sunday, and especially on a day like today, because we're praising God for such a wonderful, indescribable gift. According to his great mercy, 
Mercy is God withholding that which you deserve. Grace is him giving you that which you don't deserve. There's the difference. He has caused us. He's the initiator in this. Why would God love us? I don't know, but he does. Woohoo! He causes us to be born again to a living hope. That living hope is only available through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And not only that, wait, there's more to an inheritance. If you've been united with him in his death, you're now united with him, certainly in his resurrection. And now there's an inheritance waiting for you that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What a gift. What a gift. See, death and resurrection of Jesus, not only they're historical facts, not only are they significant doctrines, here's what Easter is. A time for you to make his death and resurrection a personal experience. Get out of your head. Get into your heart. Right? We don't, we're not just here to talk about facts. That's important. And the resurrection of Christ is one of those historically provable moments where you have to do business with what has happened. But he's not left you with just a set of facts for you just to give intellectual assent to. He has done what he's done so that your life could be changed. Romans 15, 13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is something now and present and hope is something yet future. See, there's part of you that in Christ is already seated with Christ in the heavenly places, secure, permanent, forever. But there's a part of that hope now that continues to allow us to navigate this world even when there's failed marriages, even when there's obstinate children, even when there's horrible jobs, even when there's tragic diseases, even when there's corrupt government. There's a hope that compels us. Why? Because our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, victorious and conquer forever. That's why we hope. And, and the daily cultivation of that relationship with the holy God keeps our ho- hope secure in him and not hopeful in things that will potentially let us down. Do we want a good marriage, and does God want to bless us with good marriages? Sure, I'm not denying that. But let us never forsake the fact that God comes first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you know what? Perhaps you might have a marriage that makes you smile. Perhaps you might have kids that go, wow, okay, I'm acknowledging something that's greater than just, you know, graduating school and going to get a job and driving a nice car or whatever, getting hot ladies or handsome boys or whatever. I'm done with that. I, I, ch- I chase girls for too long. And so here's the thing that doesn't disappoint. It's Christ Jesus. I'm over here yesterday. I'm not even on the clock, but that's okay. And I have a friend who teaches Buddhism, Hinduism at Arizona State University. And I've developed a relationship with this professor who has been there for a number of years. And this guy, I mean, he's kind of a big deal. And uh, he says, 
Come over. And there's always times when I'm kind of like, God, I just don't want to be on the clock right now. He's like, you're always on the clock, Scott. Get over it, all right? So I go sit down, and, uh, you know, he acknowledges, like, this is, a, this is a weekend for you who are Christians, and especially you who is a pastor. So here he is, like, opening the door for some sort of conversation, right? And he's curious because he deals in a realm of reincarnation, right? Eastern thought where there's, there's no single savior, no single messiah, no, no really promise of resurrection, right? And you can just see it on his face like he's curious because he's empty. And literally for about 20 to 30 minutes, I share the gospel and he's got questions. And we're talking and we're talking and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I, get to, I, I tell him, I get to tell you this with a smile. You notice that like Buddhists and Hindu and people of other faiths, they're just not happy people. You want to know why? Because it's all dependent upon them. But when you have a Savior who loves you like Jesus does, who stands in your place and takes the death and bears the, the sin for you, and now you are under no condemnation because of Jesus, he bears the wrath, we get his righteousness. Are you kidding me? And I'm describing this to him, and I'm sharing the gospel with him. And he says, I might be there someday. I'm, I'm looking around because I'm going, is he even here today? Maybe not. Maybe he'll come to second service. But pray for him. Because he has a hunger just like everyone else has a hunger. Now, you may not be a professor of Buddhism or Hinduism at ASU, but that doesn't mean you don't have a spiritual hunger in your heart. And I'm going to come back again, time and time again, whether you're male or female, or whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're Republican or Democrat, the answer is always Jesus. The only one who is able to declare, I'm the resurrection and the life. Remember, he said this just after he, he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And he turns to the audience, and, and, and why did Jesus, he delayed in getting to his friend? He could have been there when his friend was sick, but he waited till he died so that God could be glorified at this moment, and Jesus would have an opportunity to let people know what's happened to Lazarus is going to happen to all of you, and though every man lives, you will die, but not every man who dies will live. And so this is why Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Come to me and die, and when you come to me and die, yet you shall find life. You will live. And then he says the most haunting four words in Scripture. Do you believe this? And I, and I leave that with you today. I want you to believe this. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good for 30, almost 38 years. Praise God for his mercy and praise God for his grace and praise God for his patience. But I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And let me just tell you, he gets better every day. Because he's a God who wants me to find joy in him because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But, but you have, I, I can't live your life for you. You must live your life. I'm just going to encourage you, don't live your life apart from him. Is he the resurrection and the life? Have you come to him 
to die so that he could cause you now to live. So here's the four words. Do you believe this? I'm praying for you. Maybe you're on the fence. You're like, I still have questions. Well, we're going to give you a book. Hopefully you look, read the book. Hit me up for coffee. I'll treat. I know a good place. We can talk. I want you to know I have an open door policy. I'll give you my number. We can talk about these things. We can wrestle. We can argue. We can work through all the, 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 the conflict and the difficulties. But here's what I want more than anything else for you to believe him who is the resurrection and the life. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And for those who are not yet God's people, we're praying for you. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And more than good coffee and more than donuts and more than meeting new friends and seeing familiar faces, you have spoken to us through the songs that we've been able to sing, through the message that I've been able to give. And Lord, I know that you can work through fallible people like like us to keep at the front and center of all of our minds and hearts the most important message, and that is the personal work of Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are in Christ already would continue to discover the love, the joy, the hope. Grow those things in our hearts. And for those who are still not yet in Christ, perhaps today there's been some kernel of truth that has engaged, convicted, challenged, And I pray that you would not let that person's heart go, but that you keep pressing in because there's no greater truth than to know that God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we're yet sinners, Christ has died for us. So may those who are just right there on the outside hear the voice of the shepherd say, come, Know me and follow me. Lord, thank you for being such a good and loving and faithful God and for giving us a day to celebrate like this. And I pray we wouldn't relegate it to just a day. It would be an everyday, joyful experience. Thank you again for Jesus, the indescribable gift. Be glorified in our lives. Direct our steps. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever. He is risen. risen. Woo! Love you guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye.